So we wanted to know whether the chickens have the, what's the lowest concentration of mycotoxins that will not affect the production performance and that will not cause any, uh, you know, bacterial infections or subclinical diseases or affect the disease production performance. A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. DSM, helping customers with efficient, sustainable poultry production. AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Adaseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. When it comes to raising healthy animals, you need more than the right solutions. You need the right partner who brings decades of industry expertise and a global team to put that knowledge to work for the advancement of your operation. At Fibro Animal Health Corporation, we are proud to work with you as your trusted partner. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show. I'm Karen Grogan, your host today. And um, I have Dr. Uh, Ravati Shan with us from the USDA Agricultural Research Service. Um, welcome to the show today. Dr. Reva works across the street from me in Athens um, in the uh, Russell Research Building, which is uh, one of the major USDA research centers in the United States. So, uh, Reva, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to the position that you're at with uh, USDA today? Yeah, it's it's my pleasure, Karen. It's uh, I'm happy to be here and not talk about my research. It's a really great opportunity, uh, this podcast platform. Uh, absolutely. And I was born and raised in India. Uh, I have just realized that there are many similarities between my hometown and Georgia. Uh, my hometown is a poultry hub. Uh, you know, and it's uh, India's egg capital. You know, basically they call this as egg city or poultry town. Mm-hmm. Uh, my hometown is the second largest egg producer in India. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, coming back to my educational background, I attended my vet school after graduating my, from high school. Mm-hmm. But not because of my interest, you know, actually wanted to go to medical school. However, I was unable to enter to medical school. Obviously, our second choice was veterinary medicine. So I attended Tanivas. Uh, Tanivas is a Tamil Nadu Veterinary and uh, Animal Sciences University, uh, one of the renowned veterinary institutions in India, uh, where I got my BVM and Master's in Veterinary Medicine. Uh, and I got my PhD at the Ohio State University uh, in Animal Sciences, majoring in poultry immunology. Uh, where I studied about that, uh, uh, whether the embryonic incubation could be a potential strategy 
to, you know, modify the post-hatching response, improve the disease resistance kind of things. Excellent. And and who did you do your PhD under at Ohio State? Yeah, I did my PhD with Dr. Lilburn. Uh, he is my supervisor. Excellent. So, so what are you currently researching for ARS? Uh, currently, I'm working with the uh, mycotoxins. I joined uh, uh, at the Toxicogen Mycotoxin Research Unit uh, uh, in 2020. Uh, so my current research program is focusing on the adverse impact of mycotoxins uh, uh, on poultry health. Excellent. Um, so a lot of people, you know, have heard of mycotoxins and we talk about them frequently. Um, so just give us a little brief explanation um, of what py- mycotoxins are and how they're formed in grain products. Okay. Basically, these mycotoxins are uh, yeah, secondary metabolites uh, produced by the fungi when they're growing on the cross. Uh, the poultry feed commodities uh, they are not only get contaminated with this uh, mycotoxins at the feed, but also during uh, handling time, storage, uh, whenever the temperature is favored for their growth. You know, humidity and temperature are the major player here. Um, and uh, so because of that, it's extremely difficult for us to get a clean, uh, you know, poultry commodities uh, you know, that are free of mycotoxins. Uh, so far, we have 400 mycotoxins have been identified, uh, but not this. Uh, co- the common poultry feed commodities are contaminated with these uh, major mycotoxins like aflatoxin, acrotoxin, T2 toxin, uh, fusarium toxins. Uh, so the poultry feed is the major uh, ingredient. Uh, now, because of that, these chickens are getting uh, mycotoxins. And um, so you said the numbers are large. We have over 400. Um, yeah. So how do producers, um, how do they go about knowing, you know, clearly probably most ingredients that come in will have some level of mycotoxins. Um, yeah. What what does your, your research look at in terms of, um, you know, mycotoxins since we know they're, we know that they're a known entity. Um, the levels may vary. Um, you may have you know, certain batches, you know, batches of corn or batches of other grains that have higher um, mycotoxin content. So what does your research look at in terms of these uh, mycotoxins? Basically, when we think about this chickens, 65 to 70 percent of the poultry diet uh, you know, comes from corn. So we are using corn soybean meal based diet. So if you think about corn soybean meal based diet, we use 55 percent corn comes from, uh, uh, goes to the chicken feed. Some extreme cases, we use 72% corn. So all the major poultry feed commodities contaminated with either single or multiple mycotoxins. Um, in addition, we do have the mask mycotoxins. So that's the different story. Um, but my research is focusing on what is the uh, lowest combination of mycotoxins that will not affect the poultry production performance because the poultry feed ingredients not always comes with single mycotoxins. So co-occurrence of multiple mycotoxins give them a synergism or additive effect. So uh, we do have the regulatory guidelines for these cytotoxins. 
Now, the FDA, they defined a certain level of mycotoxins in the feed. Uh, no. So, for the example, if we talk about that fusarium, fumonescence, mm-hmm. that's the maximum permissible level is 50 parts per million or 50 milligram per kg diet. Okay. If we take that deoxynivalinone, it's a 5 milligram per kg diet. So, that's the maximum permissible level. But if you take the chicken feed, it's not just containing one mycotoxins. Uh, so, co-occurrence of multiple mycotoxins, they may have additive or synergistic effect. So, we wanted to know whether the chickens have the, what's the lowest concentration of mycotoxins that will not affect the production performance and that will not cause any, uh, you know, bacterial infections or subclinical diseases or affect the disease production performance. So in addition, I'm also interested in identifying that biomarker, uh, real-time mycotoxin exposure and toxicity. Currently, we don't have any ideal biomarkers. Right. I'm also working on that. It's hard to test in the real bird. We can test in the feed um, and get quantities there, but we have no idea what what's going exactly. on in the chicken. Uh, you had mentioned something called mast mycotoxins. What do you mean by mast mycotoxins? Uh, basically, um, mast mycotoxins, uh, either amino group or glucose or sulfate group, that will attach to these major mycotoxins by biological or chemically and modify their toxicokinetic properties. Uh, here, I just want to give an example uh, for example, fusarium fungus, you know, fusarium verticillioides or fusarium gruminarium. Uh, These are toxins that commonly know infect the plants when the plant grows in the field. Uh, these uh, fusarium species produces toxins like uh, deoxynivalinol. This is the normal process. You know, what would happen if the plant has its own resistant defensive mechanism against these fungi. Uh, for example, the plant does this uh, by attaching glucose molecule to DOD. DOD here is a deoxynivalinol. You know, it converts this DOD to DON 3 glucoside. So now DON is in the form of DON 3 glucoside, which is not toxic to the plant anymore. So the plant can survive without any problems. When we harvest this corn and the analyze for this DON, we cannot find the DON anymore because DON is in the form of DON3 glucoside. But if these mast mycotoxins you know, has an impact on the poultry, how does that happen? Uh, because these intestinal digestive enzymes, particularly amylase, you know, mm-hmm. that cleaves the glucose molecule away from right. the DON within the GA tract if the birds ingested this mast mycotoxin contaminated diet. Mm-hmm. When we analyze the finished diet using the HPLC, you know, we cannot detect this DON mm. because we don't have the standards for DON. Um, that uh, We do have the standards for DON, no. but that will not detect the DON3 glucoside. Right. So that is the problem with that, uh, uh, with uh, mask mycotoxins. So we, this is a, just a one example. We have hundreds of master mycotoxins for all major mycotoxins, like what I mentioned before. 
So the bottom line here is that we cannot detect this mass to mycotoxins with analytical, with conventional analytics. current analytical technology. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Maybe maybe your research group can come up with a way to try to to detect this. Yeah, we are hoping so. Okay. Uh, um, so j- just to kind of package that all together and, and tie it in to, to make it important to, to people joining in with us. So that is a protective mechanism by the plant. So it's not getting the negative effects. But then once it reaches the chicken GI tract, that extra glucose is digested off. And then it's back to regular Don. And, and Don is not a friendly player in the chicken intestinal tract and among other places. So what, um, what are some of the major health impacts um, that uh, we see with these mycotoxins? Yeah, most of the time, no, we know the negative impact of these toxins, no, because in the previous literature, if you if we look at the literatures, we know that uh, the mycotoxins causes immunosuppression, you know, uh, uh, we see the lesions on the liver, kidney, weak erosions, and no, uh, in the G tract, we see that, uh, especially in the gizzard, you know, ulcers. Uh, those num- no, if we look at the literature, some of them they use unrealistic dose. We don't see really in that no common poultry ingredients. We do really no, we don't see that level of uh, uh, mycotoxins. Sometimes the numbers will be really low, you know, high. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing biggest challenge we have that the testing and interpretation of that our lab results. Uh, that's the one thing. Um, the second thing is that we have the sometimes knowing the producers they use the strips, uh, right? And the strips, right? So they use that strip. Uh, that will know work only with corn. If you are using the testing strip using corn, only works with corn. That matrix will not detect that mycotoxin in the soybean. Gotcha. You know, so we have to use the different type of matrix. Those that's also gives the, some kind of error in our data. Uh, next, that the clinical mycotoxicosis in chicken. Chickens, know, they have the broiler chicken, especially 42 days life cycle. When they feed the subclinical doses, they don't have enough time to show that uh, real uh, clinical symptoms like fatty liver or big erosions because they don't have enough time to show that, uh, you know, the symptoms. So, Poultry production standpoint, we really focus on that uh, gut microbiome, immunity, and nutrition. These are like, in my perspective, they are like a puzzle pieces. You know, they have to fit together. They are connected to each other. At the same time, you know, no one piece of puzzle is more important than other. You know, all three of them are equally important. But in coming to this impact of mycotoxins, these toxins are targeting that gut epithelial cells or immune cells. These cells are highly proliferating cells with a high protein turnover. So basically, these toxins targeting those cells by inhibiting uh, protein synthesis. So obviously, we see the symptoms uh, related to uh, gut epithelial cells. These are all the cells exposed to these toxins at the highest concentration. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So as a result, you know that intestinal epithelial cells are kind of gatekeepers. You know, they create a barrier between the lumen and the rest of the body tissue. So these toxins start with those uh, junctions and letting that uh, pathogenic bacteria, toxins, everything enter into the blood circulation. As a result, we see that uh, in worst cases, we see that leaky gut syndrome. Right. Uh, so we can see some kind of pathogenic bacteria enter into that blood circulation. Sometimes this may be uh, responsible for onset of certain infectious diseases like uh, uh, necrotic enteritis. Right. Definitely necrotic enteritis. One of those long lists of things that we know contributes to necrotic enteritis. No, yeah. I think we have... Uh, we have multiple uh, stresses on the GI tract, and mycotoxins are definitely um, one of those contributing factors. Um, in terms of your research and looking at the various levels, um, at, at what level are the mycotoxins present to create that sort of intestinal tract damage? Are you talking about very high levels or very low levels, or like you were talking about earlier with sort of the synergies of multiple mycotoxins being present? Yeah. Uh, our goal now wanted to see that uh, subclinical level of mycotoxins. We have that level by the FDA, but now in the poultry, uh, ingredients have more than one mycotoxin. We wanted to know, go down a lot less than that recommended level, or the tolerance level, uh, to see the effect of uh, these mycotoxins. Right. So we used, uh, we evaluated the role of these toxins during the development of necrotic enteritis. So the question we had was that the damage caused by the fume and dawn was big enough to cause necrotic enteritis, even without that coccidial pathogen, you know? Okay. So we used 15 times less than the maximum tolerance level recommended by the FDA. Uh, so we used uh, fumonisin is uh, 3 ppm. And deoxynivalinol we used to 4 ppm. So it's a combined doses of subclinical level. Those, and, those reports would come back that that's low, you know, yeah, low levels of mycotoxins. Exactly. So the so, two the two together, um, mm-hmm. just so that I understand what you just, you you had the um, Fumonisin and the Dawn at, what you know, what we would all think is fairly low level. Um, yes. single digit parts per million. That's, you know, not what you read in the books. Uh, and you yes. could create clinical or subclinical necrotic enteritis without a coxy challenge, just with the mycotoxins. Just with the mycotoxin. Yes. Uh, so what we found that uh, chicken diets with this subclinical level of these toxins decreased the body weight gain by uh, 23 grams. We started noticing a day voting. You know, day four. And this day 14. And this trend continued until day 35. Uh, this groups, you know, the human dawn alone decreased the body weight gain by 84 grams. Uh, this is approximately 10.7% of the body weight loss just because of this human dawn. Just because of the, the no other differences, just the mycotoxin level. Mycotoxin level. So, and, and, and diets. Equal and and every you know everything else was the same. No other challenge between your groups. Nothing. Yeah. Just to and a ten percent body weight difference. Yes. Yeah. And um, in terms of of sort of evaluating and your your research 
um, is that from the intestinal tract damage? Yes, yes. Um, we did that. We also, um, this isn't just, you know, body production performance-wise, we saw that age four gram differences, you know, 10.7% difference uh, body weight. And also we saw that uh, three uh, points in the feed conversion ratio, you know. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, we also looked into that intestinal histomorphology. So the mycotoxins, you know, damaged the tip of the wheel. Uh, obviously, so you know, uh, we also quantified that uh, uh, tight junction proteins. Mm. It's also decreased uh, in not response to these toxins. So, in my opinion, uh, there is no safe or unsafe level of mycotoxins. Low to medium level, you know, it causes damage to that gut epithelium. So, these are all the reasons. But we you know still this low level of mycotoxins we are underestimated. Uh, you now it causes some effects on that bird, right? Um, so in terms of um, you know, I, I think the industry accepts these low levels. So in in a frame of your research, what are your recommendations um, based off of your research? What what yes uh, what sort of uh, measures could our, our companies um, start instituting to try to deal with these um, medium yeah. to low levels? Yeah. So currently, we ran a uh, trial with a different combination of uh, mycotoxins, you know, starting from somewhere from 33 uh, ppm of humanocins with, you know, uh, 4 ppm of dawn, and we gradually decrease that concentration up to 0.05, uh, I mean 0.5 of pivonacin to you know, 0.6 of dawn, something like that. But whenever the numbers were below 1 ppm of uh, this pivonacin and dawn, we didn't see that the differences on that body weight. Okay. So, uh, but no, we, I just presented this data in the IPPE and uh, so we need to go down a lot. Uh, right. Especially with the number of uh, uh, mycotoxins in the feed. Yeah. So, in in terms of the products that we have, you know, there's mycotoxin binders and different clays and things like that can that can be added to the feed. Is your feed is your research um, looking at, at at that type of things? You know, what what measures we do have to try to decrease the mycotoxins? Yeah, no, no. I haven't go into that level because first we wanted to know that whether these subclinical doses causes no okay. impact on that gut epithelium. But uh, we had done a previously we had done a quite uh, no a few experiment with the biomin. They have done a lot of research right. with these uh, binders. But uh, the problem with the binders are that. Uh, we have the charcoal, for example. For example, charcoal is that essentially old substances. Yes. These are really good with a uh, good strategy to get rid of the toxins. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that with that, they are really working well with aflatoxin because um, aflatoxins, they have the planarity. So they can be able to go and sit with that uh, uh, clay. You now, because okay. the clay, they make different layers, they can be able to right. go and sit. Kind of, you no, know, you can go and uh, Park your car wherever you want in your assigned spot, like that. They can go and sit. But when we think about this, Fimonacin and Dawn, uh, they don't have the 
that that kind of planarity so they cannot sit well with this uh, uh, binders so our other option is to know find a um, kind of using some kind of uh, enzymes mm. uh, for example uh, microbes so they can secrete some kind of enzymes they can uh, metabolize these kind of toxins into non toxic metabolites uh, but uh, no they market no currently they have some kind of options but they are a little bit expensive right. so we had to know come up with some broad spectrum i uh, know economic infeasible kind right. of alternatives we're in the industry of making you know pennies on on things so people need things to be uh economical additives um in terms of uh you were just mentioning that the microbes um so h- how do these um mycotoxins affect you know what we understand in terms of like the gi microflora and the microbiota and and, and all of that what what role are they playing there yeah when we think about this chickens the microbial breakdown no it happens only at the cecum after passing through all the primary absorption site now jejunum ileum and then they reach just the cecum the cecum where you have the tons of microbes they will break down that but by the time this mycotoxin reaches the cecum this especially the dawn and few they have damaged the small intestine so in terms with chickens the benefit of this microbial degradation is very very minimal mm-hmm. uh, so we wanted to know whether this chicken microbiota have the ability to detoxify the toxins uh, so we wanted to know what would happen you no know, uh, this mycotoxins but we had tons of questions in front of us <laughs> so no always, that's, that's that's the fun of research it generates yeah. questions right exactly so we have uh, we don't know the real impact of gut microbiota on mycotoxins especially in chickens and uh, the effect of mycotoxins on gut microbiome we don't know don't know and uh, the the third question was that uh, we don't know um then health impact on the host if there is a gut microbiome profile changes due to mycotoxins so what we did uh, we in our previous research we found out that how this chronic exposure to subclinical human dog affect the composition and diversity of the cecal bacterial microbiota in chickens okay. so yeah uh, what we had found out that these toxins subclinical dose again this 3 ppm of human 4 ppm dawn it changed the gut microbiome profile starting from the phylum level to family level to genus level uh, for example if we take uh, the uh, proteobacteria you at day 21 these mycotoxins significantly decreased that the proteobacteria relative abundance by 0.8 fold not only on the proteobacteria but also on that uh, lac- uh, lactobacillus and also that lactobacillus when you think about the bac- lactobacillus they are very good at detoxifying uh, mycotoxins mm-hmm. but uh, what happened in my research that um, the lactobacillus relative abundance was completely decreased and it was replaced by that clostridia <clears throat> so our friend clostridia it's yeah. always there it just takes yeah. one thing to to tip the scales exactly so we thought that okay there's no swapping between this proportion of this 
uh, lactobacillus lactobacillus versus this class, uh, this clostridium may be involved with uh, chickens are unable to detoxify this mycotoxins maybe this is the reason that create intestinal dysbiosis mm-hmm. reason for subclinical necrotic enteritis you know but still you know this is uh, this is the very beginning we still have to long way to go to understand the gut microbiome uh, to get the clear picture of the impact of mycotoxins on the gut microbiome aspect so your research is just still still starting um in terms of that aspect but um yeah it's like it, it definitely does have some some impacts along with with what it's doing with direct damage to the intestines yes so you had mentioned um in your research you use some different uh you were talking about like tight junction proteins um so these are these are pretty high tech uh you know types of tests to look at, at intestinal damage um what could you see as a test kind of in the future um that you know, you had talked about, you know, we don't really have a test for in the chicken what the mycotoxins are doing. We can test the feed. What are some predictions that you might, uh, that you're working on or you could have a current research plan in terms of, you know, this might be something worthy of looking at? So currently, uh, we don't have a, you know, I'm I'm really, really interested in looking for and you know, identifying some biomarkers uh currently we don't have any readily available biomarkers that would help to determine the real time exposure of mycotoxins uh, so far the markers we have uh, for especially the human dawn are after the fact you no know, based on uh, decrease in production performance right um and currently what we are using that is uh, the spingarnine spingosin ratio especially in you know, all these premonistins inhibiting the uh, particular ceramide synthase, which is part of that you no know, cell wall, you know. Okay. So basically, this inhibit that particular cell wall uh, mechanism. So we see that spingarnine-spingarnine ratio. That is the one, but it's this one is also after the fact. But I wanted to know, uh, see whether I can be able to find the real-time exposure of uh, uh, mycotoxins right. using certain biomarkers. So I am working uh, towards on using uh, some uh, microRNA biomarkers. Okay, you know something that. So I'm working on that. More. Maybe in next uh, six months, I may have an answer for that. So I'm working towards. Yeah, right. We'll have to. Uh, we'll have to check back in and see, yeah. uh, or catch you at a at another meeting presenting the yeah. research for your lab. Um, yeah. Good luck. Good luck on trying to find that magic biomarker. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. At JBI, we apply biosecurity innovation and expertise to keep your operation safe. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health challenges. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Working with nature and not against it. Chickens fed AX3 Digest consume significantly less feed and water to produce one pound of meat. Successful flock performance is determined during the first 10 days post-placement. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible novel protein that most improved in barn performance, bird health, and a drier litter. For more information... 
visit www.protecta.com. So in terms of, you know, chickens are presented with feed that contain a mycotoxin. Um, it doesn't sound like they really have, you know, your your work is showing that like, they, you know, the microbes are so far down the intestinal tract and the cecum that they don't really have any defense mechanisms. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, and I think your research has really shown that it does have, even at, at what we think are medium to low levels, uh, really probably low levels, um, yeah. you know, it, it's still having major impacts and disrupting um, the microbiome populations. Um, and in terms of, you know, where you see your research headed, you're, you're going to search for this biomarker. What would be the next, what next steps are you taking? I'm going to know my next step. No, we wanted to know whether this, uh, first step, we wanted to identify that low level of mycotoxins that will not affect production performance and also, uh, you know, no uh, effect on the gut health. So whatever the uh, research I have done with just to know one uh, species, we used that Ross chicken. And so we found the data only on the Ross chicken. I wanted to see whether the same effect, whatever I seen with the Ross, to see it on another, uh, you know, uh, thing, Cob, yeah, cob, whether I can see the same data. And also I wanted to explore with the turkeys and ducks uh, to see the impact. And the next thing is I wanted to identify the broad spectrum of uh, mycotoxin detoxifier. Right now we have either enzymes, microbial enzymes, which is a little bit pricey. And then the other uh, binders are adsorbent. It's not working well with uh, this humanicin and DON. So I wanted to identify the broad spectrum uh, antimycotoxin solutions uh, and uh, no economically feasible to the producers. So that's my uh, next goal. I'm sh- I'm so, I'm, I'm sure everyone um, yeah. would appreciate that. No one wants to lose feed conversion, and yeah. um, you know we're constantly in in uh, in our production um, systems. We're heading more and more towards, you know, no antibiotics ever and um, limiting, you know, antibiotic use. So necrotic enteritis is always a constant challenge. So um, here you have given a much greater understanding of, um, you know, another important player in in what is causing and contributing to necrotic enteritis. It's not not just us removing antibiotics. It's, you know, these, ingre- these uh, toxins that are present in the feed. Uh, and they're definitely playing a role. Your your research is is definitely needed. So I, uh, we the industry thanks you um, for for doing um, for doing this great work in mycotoxins. Um, it, it's definitely a topic that that people talk about. And I think that that we just like you said, there's 400 different metabolites out there. It's just a, a big scope of work in terms of trying to figure out which ones to, to research and, and what impact they're having. So um, you are starting a great career and a really broad, pro, uh, you know, topic. And um, yeah. I think that, yeah, so that's great. Well, excellent. Um, well, thank you for sharing um, your breadth of work right now. And um, congratulations on presenting that um, at IPPE. Um, if any of our 
listeners are interested, um, can they contact you at ARS? I'm sure you guys can find um, Dr. Ravati uh, that way through ARS and through her abstract at IPSF. Um, thank you for your time today and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye-bye.